right, welcome to the Biblos Network. We are glad that you have joined us today. We are here to take a journey into and talk about the great things of the kingdom of God. I trust God is helping you and blessing you where you are. Things are busy, busy, busy here in Durham. We have been having great services. God has been moving in a great and dramatic way. Um, it's a good thing to live in a continued state of revival, of increase, that people are coming in constantly. You're fighting for the truth. You're fighting for what's right, edifying the people of God, strengthening the next generation in the faith. And we do all of this in preparation for and in anticipation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I trust that you are enjoying the blessing of God where you are. I wanted to take today, and I wanted to mention something that I stumbled across the other day. I've seen this before. You've probably seen it before. But it's an interesting little portion of Scripture that perhaps it will help you today. I know it helped me. I was reading in the book of Acts, chapter 20, 27, and I was reading about Paul as he's on his way to Malta, which in the scripture is Mylita. And he's a prisoner. He's on the boat. The Romans are taking him to stand before Caesar. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you something interesting about that. Um, a few years ago, I had the, the privilege of going to Israel with my family. We went to Jerusalem, and while we were there, we got to go to the Via Della Rosa, the Way of the Rose, and we were able to see what has classically been called the road or the way that Jesus took to Calvary. They don't really know, but they, they just say that. And to see where Caiaphas and Annas the priest, the high priest, the previous high priest, where they stood in judgment, where Jesus carried the cross to where they feel Golgotha was, was, was a surreal moment for us. And as it, as it turned out, within just a couple days, one or two days, it might have even been 24 hours, I can't quite remember, we were on a plane from Jerusalem, from Tel Aviv. We, we then went to Tel Aviv, and we flew into Rome, Italy. And the next day, we stood at the place where Caesar would have judged Paul. So you see where Jesus was condemned, and even Paul, as Paul dealt with his accusers in Jerusalem, and then later to see the place in Rome where Paul would have been judged, all of those seminal moments, those climactic, powerful moments in the Scripture, they took us to the place where, where Paul would have stood and where Nero would have stood. And it was such a humbling feeling. It brought tears to my eyes because the words of Paul in the epistles where he makes the statement, all men forsook me. There was none that stood with me. And I stood there in that, amidst those Roman ruins, 
And I, I wondered, what did it feel like? What did it feel like to face the jeering mobs and the corrupt Roman judiciary that by that time was so morally bankrupt that they were literally going insane? What did it feel like to represent Jesus Christ in that moment? What kind of a man would have that kind of power, that kind of fortitude, that kind of determination? And I thought about people today and how something happens they don't like, something happens that they disagree with, they get, they get offended at the smallest little things. We live in a very easily offended society today. And I thought to myself, what would a man like Paul have felt in that moment? And God give me the grace to have that kind of fortitude. And so when people say negative things or caustic things or mocking things, it doesn't bother me. It's nothing. It is nothing in comparison to what the apostles faced. And I just pray God can give me a measure of that. And I pray he does for you as well. But anyway, he's on the boat. He, he, is, he starts out as a slave that they overlook. They discard what he says. He tells them, don't go. There's going to be trouble, but they, the centurion doesn't listen to him. They see that the weather looks good. It's not a big deal. Let's go. And while they are on the way, they sail close to Crete, and then they come. There's a storm that rises, Yurok Lydon, and the ship is caught. It's tossed. Men are throwing things overboard. They're going to die. Paul foresaw this in the Holy Ghost. He foresaw it. And they ignored him. Now the storm is here. I think that it is in storms that you will find what people are really made of. So I guess today's session, I'm going to call it true colors. True colors. Your, what are your true colors? This is a nautical story. Paul's on the ocean. It's about a ship. It's about him sailing from, from the port there off of Israel to Rome. And there's this nautical picture that we're given where Paul begins as a slave and he winds up basically in control of the ship where the centurion begins by discarding his counsel and ignoring what he says. And finally, he winds up listening to him. He hears him. He looks to him for counsel. Storms are not bad things. They're not bad things. Um, the Spanish word for storm, I was reading it the other day. What is the Spanish word for storm? Tormento. Tormento. Tormenta. Is that the same root that's in torment? Yeah, tormenta. There's a torment. There's a tempestuousness. There's a there's a volatility. It's very unpleasant. If you've ever been through a storm, you know what I'm talking about. And some people will will say the storm won't last always. Um, it's not always going to rain. This it's not always going to be bad. Hold on, hold on through the storm. And there's good. It's a good way of thinking about life. The storm doesn't last forever. 
And actually, the storm will reveal who and what people are in your life. It is in the storm that you will find out who your real friends are. I had a storm one time in my life. I found out quickly who my real friends are. And I found out quickly who was hiding and acting like a friend and who was really just an opportunist. Or worse, who was a tormentor. (laughs) The tormenta will (laughs) reveal the tormentor. (laughs) Uh, That's terrible. (laughs) Um, But you can bemoan the fact that there's a storm. You can can bewail and, and be afraid of the storm. Or you can say, you know what? I know who controls the storm. Jesus controls the storm. You know, if you read the Bible, it speaks of storms in the days of Jonah, when Jonah is thrown overboard to the whale. It was a storm. Jonah is asleep in the boat. They wake him up, they bring him up, and they throw him overboard, and the sea is calmed. Jesus also slept in a boat during a storm. Both men, it's a it's a powerful messianic prefiguring. Um, he... Jesus steps to the bow of the boat. They wake him. He calms the storm. And Jonah calms the storm by being cast in. Jesus calms the storm by coming up and speaking to it. Both are figures of Jesus Christ taking dominion. One is an Old Testament revelation that would be his death and his burial. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. Jesus now comes, and he is a figure of the resurrection And he speaks to the storm, and this is a picture of someone coming up out of the depths and taking dominion. So both of them are messianic. One is of his death and burial. The other is of his resurrection and his life. Praise God. I I can't help but, I said this at a conference last week, I can't help but see Jonah's prayer when he said, the weeds wrapped around my head and the billows were gone over me. When I saw that, the, those weeds wrapped around his head, all I could think of was Calvary as they wrapped the thorns around Jesus' head. And both are uh, powerful, powerful teachings about Jesus Christ. And at any rate, we're talking about storms and boats, and, and here Paul finds himself in that storm, and as he's going along, there's a point where the storm gets so bad that men begin to they begin to be dishonest. The centurion said, you have to stay with the boat. Paul said, if you don't stay with the boat, then everybody dies. We all make it or nobody makes it. For whatever reason, that's what the angel had told him. An angel had appeared to him, and he said to the men, be of good cheer. An angel appeared to me. Everything's going to be all right. Sometimes it's hard to hang on to what God has told you. Sometimes you want to jump ship. Sometimes you want to make up some kind of a reason. And, and here's, here's the verse I want to leave with you. It's found in Acts chapter 27, verse 30. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, here's the word, the two words, under color under color. They were under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, ye cannot be saved. And then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. Under colors, 
if you look that up in a newer version or if you look in a Thompson Chain Bible, it will say that that phrase under colors, that it meant it was a pretext. A pretext is a reason that somebody gives for something they're going to do that is not the real reason. It's one they think that you'll accept. It's one that they think that it'll make you feel better. But it's not actually the real reason. And so um, that's what they did. They did it under colors. Now, that, that this is nautical, I just can't help but wonder. You know, this is written, the King James Version is written at a certain period of time when there were certain phrasings and idioms, uh, figures of speech, if you will. And there was a nautical idea, and this being a nautical story, where people would fly false colors on the sea. If a pirate ship wanted to attack a British merchant ship or a Portuguese merchant ship on the Atlantic Ocean, pirates, you know, Redbeard, Blackbeard, um, I don't know who all the, all the beards are, <laughs> but they were infamous for patrolling the, the waterways between Europe and the United States. Um, they would put up a flag and in maritime, in that maritime period where there were pirates and there were merchants, they would have to fly. Yeah, you're supposed to fly certain colors. You're supposed to put up certain flags. So if you're with Britain, you flew a British flag. And if you were with the U.S., you flew a United States flag. If you were from Portugal or Spain or France, there was some kind of a naval color system that they would run up the beam, up the um, main beam, and you knew who you were dealing with. When you saw them from a distance, you knew what kind of a ship that was and who was in control of that ship, and they call those the colors. And pirates knew that these merchants didn't want them to get close, so they would fly the colors of the ship they wanted to attack. So if they wanted to attack Britain, they would they would run up a British flag. And that was considered false colors. It wasn't your true colors. And so they would do it long enough to get close to them. They would sail closer and closer. They would uh, come in as a friend, not letting on that they're actually wanting to take them captive. They're wanting to kill them, sink the ship, or steal the ship to, to raid it of its cargo of its treasure and when they got so close that the ship could not get away they would run up their true colors which was the Jolly Roger the skull and crossbones the black and the white skull and um, they would attack so this was what it meant to sail under your true colors or your false colors I wonder I wonder if that's part of what motivated them to put this in the scripture because these men saw that the centurion was going to make them stay on the boat. Paul was saying, stay on the boat. And so they were acting like they were going down in lifeboats to perhaps reposition the anchors, make the boat more secure, when that's not what they were doing at all. What they were doing was they were going to cut and run. They were going to try to make for the shore and leave the ship. And Paul said, except these abide 
in the ship, you cannot be saved. There was a, a message of unity there. You need to stick together. You need to stay together. Stay with the things of God. Stay with what God is doing. We started this journey out. Don't give up yet. Uh, the old song, I've come too far from where I've started from. I, he brought me too far. He's not going to leave me. And so this is what Paul tells them. They, under colors, under pretext, falsely claiming one thing but actually doing another thing, they are ready to run away with the lifeboats. And the soldiers see it. The centurion gives the command, and the soldiers cut off the lifeboats. There is such a thing in your walk with God where when you find the purpose of God, you cut off all avenues of escape. I can remember doing this in starting our church in Florida. Uh, there was no back door. There was no escape hatch. There was no plan B. It was all plan A. We are putting everything we have. We are giving all we have. I was in it to win it. I, there was going to be an apostolic church there, or I was going to die trying. I was fully prepared to give my life, and I did, and I gave everything I had, and, and God blessed and honored it. Those were the colors under which I sailed. And that is what I believe a person has to do when they are going to fulfill the complete purpose of God in their life. When, when um, I think it was Cortez, might have been Hernando de Soto, I can't remember which one it was. I want to say it was Cortez. When he got to South America, he burned his ships. He set them on fire, set them ablaze, so that anybody that had any ideas of going back to where they came from, going back to what was familiar, to what was safe, he he dashed those. He he got rid of all of the opportunities to go back. You know, when I think of it like that, I think of Hebrews 11, when when the Bible says if if the patriarchs had opportunity to have returned, they might have done it, but now they declare plainly. I want my colors to declare exactly who and what I am. I am Jesus' name, apostolic, one God. I'm a tongue talker. I am holiness living. I am not ashamed of any of that. Those are the, the colors that I fly. I am um, excited to live for God. I do what I do because it's what the Scripture teaches, and, and I, I want to be that when I wake up to when I go to bed at night. I want to be that for the rest of my life. I'm honored to be among what the songwriters called the Lord's despised few, the great speckled bird. <laughs> I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of God's church, and those are the colors that I want to fly. It's what I did when I started my church. It's what I do in ministry now. You give everything that you have to the purpose of God. These men were not. They were trying to find a way to escape, and under colors, they began to try to let down the boats. Those soldiers cut those ropes. The, the lifeboats fell away, and there were no more options. There, now you're stuck with the ship. There's no way to sail off and, and to find some other option. I can remember a young man that I knew. He came out of the world. He struggled. One of the reasons he struggled is because he was lonely. He wanted to find somebody to marry, and he was young, and so... He desired a partner. And living for God, a lot of times, there'll be loneliness, particularly if you're going to live for God truly and authentically, completely. Um, 
and he struggled. You know, he would he would try to live for God and do what was right, and then he would get lonely and he'd want to go find a girlfriend, find somebody to keep him company. And he would come to me and say, I don't know if I can live holy and right, and I think I need to go out and date and just find somebody, and then I'll bring her back to church. And I told him one day, after several conversations, I said, because the basic idea that he had was, I'm never going to find anybody in the church. There's nobody compatible with me. I haven't found any girls. And, I mean, goodness, it's been six months. (laughs) He was so addicted to female companionship that he couldn't even, he was struggling to take the time to purge himself and to get himself right and to hold down a steady job and to just live for God on a day-to-day basis. He had to have a woman. And there are women that just have to have a man immediately, not thinking that maybe God wants to boil some things out of you to get down to your true colors. And I looked at him one day and I said, you know, when the world ceases to be an option, God will bless you. You need to cut away your lifeboats. You need to burn your ships. As long as it's an option for you to go back to that club and hang out till two in the morning, hoping to find somebody. Desperate people look for desperate people. And the club is not where you're going to find a godly spouse. You might find a person. You probably will find a person. And you'll deeply and profoundly regret it. The bar, the club, the... Uh, what are they, Now it's apps. It's dating apps and hookup apps. What a, what a crazy world we've now, we now find ourselves in. But when you cut away the lifeboats to your old life, when you, when you tell yourself, I'm staying with the ship, I'm staying with the angel, I'm staying with Paul, even though I'm in a storm, that's exactly what Ruth did with Naomi. She cut away the lifeboats. Orpah initially said she would. Both Ruth and Orpah said, we will never leave you. If you read it closely, go to the book of Ruth. Read Ruth and Orpah's first declaration to Naomi. Both of them said, we will never leave you. And then Naomi said, well, I don't have any more sons, and you might be old maids. And then when they had the next conversation, Orpah said, I got to go. Hasta luego. Catch you later. Got to get out of here. I got to go. I got to go finds me a man. (laughs) And Ruth, she says, wherever you go, I go. And wherever you lodge, I lodge. And your people will be my people. And your God will be my God. She cuts away her lifeboats. She, She makes it her mission to stay with the things of God, even though it's tempestuous even though the waves are high and it's scary and, and you very well could die. She says, I'd rather die in the storm with the things of God than to live in peace with the wicked. So, under colors. I remember I was talking to an older gentleman one time. He told me, um, did you know that leaves aren't green? I said, what do you mean leaves aren't green? Of course leaves are green. He said, I'm not talking about pine needles and evergreens that stay green all the time. I'm talking about deciduous trees. I'm talking about trees that change colors. Their leaves actually aren't green. That 
those leaves are maturing, but they ripen. The leaves on a tree have a seasonal dynamic to it that is very, very much like vegetables. And just like a tomato goes from green to red, a pepper can go green from green to red or yellow. Just like that, those leaves aren't green. That's not their true color. Their true color will come out at the time of the ripening, at the time when the sap begins to dry up and it is the time for harvest. When it's harvest time, that is when you'll find out what it really is. And I remember thinking to myself, my goodness, leaves aren't green. It was an epiphany. Some are red, some are yellow, some are orange. The beautiful, breathtaking foliage of fall. The crispness of the air, the smoke-tinged air that you breathe. It brings to light the true colors. That's what the storm does in a person's life. This gets down to motives. This is when Saul goes to offer sacrifice. Samuel had told him no. Uh, Samuel actually had him waiting for him. Saul was supposed to kill Agag and put his entire family and kingdom to the sword. The Amalekites, Saul does not do it. He saves the animals and he spares Agag's life. And when Saul comes to Samuel, he says to him, why did you disobey the voice of the Lord? And Saul says, I didn't disobey. I saved the animals for sacrifice. And I saved it for spoil. I thought we could sacrifice them to the Lord. Now God had told them to utterly destroy them. And you see the fudging. You see the waffling. You see the the playing with the purpose of God that Saul engages in. He knew what God had said, but he has created an alternative under colors, and he speaks it to Samuel as though Samuel hadn't said that. And Samuel is angry. There was a reason why God was going to destroy Amalek. They were very wicked. There was a profound wickedness. And because Saul did not do it and he let some of the family live, it gave rise to uh, Haman later on with Esther and the Feast of Purim. And the book of Esther happened because Saul did not put to the sword all of Agag's family. Samuel takes the sword and kills Agag right there in front of all the people. And those were Samuel's colors. And Saul showed his true colors in the storm. And how many could we could we reference for negative and positive? Samson, who seems to be so wishy-washy and so up and down at the end of his life, shows his true colors when he leans himself against the pillars and he says, let me die. He says, Let's, let me die with the Philistines. And he brings down the house of Dagon. And Samson is now mentioned in the roll call of faith of the book of Hebrews chapter 11. There's mention made of him there as a great hero in Israel, even though his life was so spotty. Ruth shows her true colors. David shows his true colors, even though he kills 
though he kills Uriah and he commits great sin with Bathsheba. He tries to cover it all up. Yet Psalms 51, when he repents, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away from thee. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Um, he shows his true colors, and he strives to make right what he did wrong. And he pays a heavy, heavy price. But those are his true colors. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, stands up and shows that he had what Jesus always knew he had. Upon this rock I'll build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. It's hard to see when, when Peter is denying him three times and the rooster is crowing. Peter weeps bitterly when he remembers the word of the Lord, and it looks bad. But on the day of Pentecost, you see his true colors. You see that there was good in him and that Jesus saw an apostle when people didn't see, they didn't see much. So what are my motives for what I'm doing? The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The intents of the heart, the motives that I have. Why am I doing what I'm doing? God knows why we do it. He doesn't just know what we do. He knows why we do it. I believe this is why God has mercy on Tamar. Judah, Judah goes down to see a harlot, a prostitute. She dresses up. She looks like a harlot. Judah goes into her. Later on, when he finds out that Tamar is pregnant in his hypocrisy, he's ready to kill her forgetting his own actions that he himself has partaken in. What a mess. What a terrible mess. If you trace it back, it, it comes back to Onan and Ur and the fact that Tamar can't have children because Judah's sons are greatly wicked. They're, they're profoundly wicked. This is the Judah that is selling Joseph into slavery. There was a profound wickedness in Judah And Tamar, when, it's all, when it all comes out and she brings out the signet and the staff and she looks at Judah and says, by the man that this belongs to, I am with child. Judah makes the statement, she is more righteous than I am. It's because God knew the intent of that woman's heart. It was to conserve and to preserve seed and to raise up the next generation. And what Judah had done to her was a great crime and a disservice. Later, after Judah has lost his children, they've been killed. The Lord smote them. Judah gives his life for Joseph. What a, what a, a powerful resurgence of goodness and right. We talk about Judah and the lion of the tribe of Judah and send up Judah and Judah shall go before him. And Judah means praise. Well, before Judah did all that, he tried to kill Joseph. He lied. He's Judah's one of the ones that brought the the broken, tattered, ripped garment to Israel, covered with goat's blood, and lied and let Israel live with that lie for years. That's Judah. And his colors didn't look too good. 
You talk about pretext. You talk about subterfuge. You talk about deceit. Motives. His motive was to get power. His motive, you know, God knows how to, he knows how to boil things out of us. God will put you through the fire. He'll put you through the storm. He'll put you through the most unbelievable circumstances. And it, if you allow it, it will save you. The storm will save you if you stay with the ship. And if your colors aren't right, maybe you're just green right now. Maybe you haven't ripened into who you're supposed to become. Because at the end of the story, Judah looks at Joseph and says, Don't take Benjamin, take me. I'll give my life for the boy. Let the boy live. And Joseph realized that the man who collected the money to betray him all those years before is now giving his life for his brother. And he knows that he has changed and he's willing to reconcile. God knows how to boil out what's really in you. If you'll bring your life to a boil, if you'll submit yourself to the heat, it'll burn out all the garbage. The dross will come to the top. You can skim it off, and what's left will be gold. That's what the trial is about. That's what the fiery trial brings. That's what the storm produces. And you'll be able to say with the Apostle Paul, be of good cheer. <laughs> Stay with the boat. An angel has appeared to me tonight. Stick with the church. Stick with Naomi. Stay with Joseph. Stay with the boat. This is what it means to be under color. Your true colors to show. What will they say of you when you die? What will your children say as they stand and they give your eulogy as they stand over your grave? Will there be anybody there? Or will there be people there that will understand that you are a flawed human, but you had good colors? Your true colors shone through. You love God. You serve the Lord. You got back up when you fell down. You fought for your family. You fought for the truth. These are the things that I want to be said when I die. So I hope that helps you. I hope that edifies you. Today's session will be a little bit shorter, guys. I've got to run and preach a conference tonight. So um, until next time, may God bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you and give you peace.